What is up, Creature Lifers? Welcome to episode lucky number 13. It's your favorite co-hosts, Blake and Megan, and today we're going to be answering one of the most important questions in Christianity. I would actually probably push back against that a little bit, Megan. Instead of saying one of the most important questions, I would say the single most important question in all of Christianity, how jacked was Jesus? Basically, we see different depictions of Jesus. Jesus sometimes looks huge, like he never missed a day in the gym. How close to reality is that? We're going to tackle that and so much more today. But before getting to that very important question, I want to start off by saying where we're at in this series. So in case you haven't been listening, we've been doing a series of the grand biblical narrative and, and how that can inform our understanding of food and our bodies today. So we're actually at part three after creation and fall. As a quick recap, in, cre- in the episode on creation, we talked about how creation comes from a creator. Our bodies and food, they're made by God, and therefore they are good and worthy and beloved. Yeah, we have to remember that. Not only are they made by God, they're made by God with this incredible amount of love. God looks upon God's creation with so much delight, and that includes us and our bodies and the food we eat. In the next episode, we talked about the fall and how people often misconceive of the fall as and as showing us the temptations of our bodies and of food. But really, the fall's problem wasn't about creation's existence. The problem was creatures trying to be like God. And we related that to food in the body in the way that we can arbitrarily determine what makes for good bodies or what makes food good versus bad. And we just don't take God's perspective there. Yeah, Megan, like you're saying... We have this totally warped view of the fall that says, if it, oh, because, you know, Adam and Eve were tempted with fruit, that must mean food is bad and material things are bad. And if only they had stayed more spiritual, I don't really think that's what Genesis is getting at. I don't think that's what the Bible is getting at. And what a perfect segue into our episode for today, uh, which is focusing on redemption. Yeah, when you think that the problem is creation itself, then the solution to the problem is an escape from creation. And that's how sometimes people interpret Christianity, including Christians themselves, that what our redemption is, is the saving of our souls away from our bodies. But if you start the story at creation, remembering that creation belongs to God and is loved by God, and then you move to the fall as not the problem of creation itself, but the problem of creatures trying to become like God, then what redemption is, is it's not the separation of the spiritual from the material souls from our bodies. Rather, it's the transformation of creation back into what it was created to be, beloved creatures of God. And that is where, in this redemption episode, those are those of you who are familiar with this big picture framework, this is where Jesus really takes center stage. And I think before we go anywhere, it's worth noting Jesus came in a body, y'all. That We have some serious issues uh, with, with our view of Christianity if we think that material things are bad, and yet our God, our Savior, our Lord was in a body. This introduces questions. And so we want to talk about a couple different things regarding Jesus on, on this episode. And the first is just that Jesus loves bodies. Yeah, like Blake said, if Jesus didn't believe bodies to be significant or if Jesus was trying to save us away from our bodies, then why would Jesus have entered one? 
I think instead, by taking on a real human body with all that that entails and comes with, Jesus shows that bodies are good, that we are to embrace our embodied life. Yeah, what what greater affirmation could God give for our bodies than taking one on himself? And And I think... I mean, at this point, we have to ask, okay, well, maybe Jesus affirms some bodies. What does that look like? This is where we start answering Jack Jesus' questions. What kind of body did Jesus have? I, I think this is relevant to us, um, to the topic of our podcast, and honestly, to our understanding of, of Christianity in general. Yeah, so often, as we alluded to, society will picture Jesus kind of fitting the perfect image of what we think of as beautiful. Often he's depicted with long flowing locks and six-pack abs. But I don't think this is the picture of Jesus that we actually get in Scripture. Yeah, and I I mean, it's so worth hammering again and again and again here. This is the, the picture of society's ideal. Renaissance painters painted Jesus in a, in a renaissance ideal our, our modern p- depictions of Jesus are in our modern ideals and Jesus is, is probably more muscular these days and I mean unfortunately um, you know when we have white artists depicting Jesus we often get a very white looking Jesus that's not the Jesus we had and yet we're already learning something so important about our society here is that we are we, we create, we, we're even creating God in our image here. And, and of course, we're, we're warping that order like we talked about in the creation episode and in the fall episode that God makes us in his image. We don't get to determine that. And yet we try to uh, with disastrous results. Anyway, back to, back to what kind of body Jesus actually had. There's this beautiful picture in the book of Isaiah that historically Christians have interpreted as a picture of Jesus. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it because I think it's it's so great and I think can really challenge the way that we think that Jesus looks like a hot version of whatever our beauty standard is today. Hot Jesus. Megan, you went there. <laughs> I sure did. Okay, here it is, guys. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isn't that so radical when we think about Jesus? That he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. I think that last line is maybe even the most grabbing. As one from whom men hide their faces. Who do we hide our faces from today? It's sad, but probably homeless people. You know, people we walk by in the street and, oh, I don't really want to look at that guy. I don't want to look at that girl. And and yet Jesus is depicted this way. This is not, you know, hot Renaissance Jesus or, or jacked Jesus now. Right. And I think just... I think so many of us, including myself, have longed so deeply to fit society's standards. We think, oh, if I just lost 10 pounds or if I just had six-pack abs or if I could fit that beauty standard just a little bit more, we just crave that and long for that, thinking that will give our bodies more worth. And yet God, who has infinite power chose to enter into a body that was rejected and despised when that had no beauty no form no majesty what does that mean i think that means that god is upturning society's vision of what beauty is christ himself 
is beauty, and yet we couldn't recognize it because our our image and definition of definitions of beauty are so distorted and so far from divine truth. Yeah, the, our, our visions, as, as we've tried to say again and again on this podcast, they're made by us. They're created by us um, in our fallenness, and so we have these beauty standards that I think God is just like that's not beauty. That, and, and to be clear, we're not trying to say people who like like this is not trying to shame someone who who does somewhat fit into society standards. Not saying that at all. I think it's more this comparative thing we do. Some bodies are good, some bodies are bad. That's what Jesus is trying to destroy here by taking the body that He takes on. Megan, I love how you put it. Jesus is beauty, beauty itself, beauty incarnate. And yet we're like, no, not that. Give me, give me, you know, whatever. <laughs> not not too up to date on on Roman uh, beauty standards, but but give me, you know, the guy who looks more like. Emperor Caesar, whatever. I was a a history major. I should know more about this, but I don't. I'm exposing that. Anyway. Moving on now. (laughs) But I think think what Jesus' body shows us is that our beauty standards are not true. That God, the maker of the universe, the maker of our bodies, doesn't uphold those standards um, and actively thinks they're not true and, and doesn't choose them. And Megan, I'm going to steal a line from your pre-podcast notes here because it is too excellent to go unsaid. Christ's body gets its worth from the fact that it is sacred and divine. Its worth does not come from what the world says about it. And yet we do that with our bodies. Mm -hmm. We say our worth comes from what the world says about us. But Jesus shows us a different way forward. Jesus' redemption of us and our bodies and of this entire world shows us we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to say, well, gee, my body would would be so much more worthy, so much more lovable, so much more good and better if only it looked more like a magazine cover. Jesus is just wholeheartedly rejecting that. Right. I think we define our worth based on how, how much approval we get through Instagram likes or are people staring at our bodies or are we affirmed in our bodies? And yet that's not how the world treated Christ's body. Yet Christ's body is something we affirm as that is so sacred and so divine and so worthy. And I think it just goes to show that what the world says about us isn't actually what constitutes our worth. It's what God says about us. Absolutely. And I think we can see this in Jesus's actions too. And when we talk about Jesus loving bodies, when we talk about God loving bodies, it's not just that God took on a body or that God took on a certain kind of body. It's how that embodied, man, we say embodied a lot. This is like the most seminary word ever, but it's okay. We shall press on. God's embodied body. My professors would be so thrilled. Who are the bodies that Jesus cares about? Who are the bodies that Jesus goes to, and again, not trying to imply that Jesus doesn't some for some reason care about healthy bodies or strong bodies, but Jesus cares so deeply and shows his deep love for the bodies that society wants the least to do with. Right. Bodies that are disfigured, bodies that don't meet the standard of goodness and beauty. Often in the stories of scripture, Jesus is healing lepers, and in society at that time, lepers were totally isolated from society because they were seen as unclean and not worthy and sometimes even lepers had to go around with bells announcing their presence so that people would know to run away and to to depart from them yet those are the very bodies that jesus draws near to that jesus firmly believes are worthy because they too are created by god and he's not afraid to touch them too and to heal them and to make them well. 
team, this has to challenge our notion of bodies. This, this has to challenge my notion, speaking personally here. Jesus does such radical things with bodies. Jesus' acceptance of bodies. Jesus' genuine love for bodies. We, we put in our little podcast notes the wet willy story, for those of you familiar with Mark 7, uh, maybe elsewhere too, of, of Jesus touching um, a mute man's tongue and and putting putting that finger in this this man was also deaf or yeah, yeah and, and putting his fingers in his ears think about how intimate that is once you get over the divine strangeness of Jesus <laughs> giving this guy a wet willy Jesus is getting so close to this man's body and Jesus is just in that act is just showing so much value and love and cherishment of, I don't know if cherishment is a word cherishing of that body <laughs> Um, and yet we're so quick to turn up our nose at, um, you know, someone else whose body doesn't fit the standards or sadly so often our own. We look in the mirror and say, oh, that body's not worthy of love. That body's not worthy of being drawn near to. Yeah, I think so often people think of Christianity, including Christians themselves, as it's just a bunch of ideas. It's more how we think. And yet I think in Jesus we see that Christianity is about these material created things like our bodies. Jesus spent so much of his ministry healing bodies, touching bodies. And another huge part of Jesus's ministry is spent feeding and eating. I think this also in the same way that Jesus loves bodies, Jesus loves food. We see Jesus constantly at meals with others or Jesus doing those miraculous feeding the 5,000. I think in that Jesus shows that eating matters. Yeah, I think Jesus's life con- consistently shows that very message. I-, I think we can take, you know, some things Jesus says a little bit out of context of, oh, you know, I'm the bread of life. I'm the true bread, all that stuff. Sure, fair enough. Not not trying to push against the idea that Jesus is the bread of life. And, and that might not might that definitely has you know a spiritual component to it but i think we so often take that to way too far of an extreme and say well because jesus is talking about spiritual food that means material food doesn't matter jesus doesn't care about material food or even worse jesus is actively opposed to it how then do we explain all of jesus's feedings like you said megan how do we explain jesus you know gathering around the table with so many people and especially how do we explain communion, you know, the Last Supper, what Jesus told us to do to remember him was to eat material food. That means something. Right. Of all the symbols Jesus could have chosen to be remembered by, he chose to be remembered by bread and wine. Listen to Jesus's words in Matthew. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Already this should push back so much against this idea that Jesus is anti-food or, or anti-material things. There's so many things he could have said, you know, to remember him. There's so many rituals we could have performed. I guess that would be our body too. You know, mind things we could concentrate on, secret knowledge we, we, we should remember. And yet he gave us this, this distinctly material thing. So why bread and wine? Why were those chosen as the symbols for Jesus's life given unto us? Well, we have a couple possibilities that we want to throw out there, things we think that bread and wine can teach us about Jesus and and what Jesus offers us. Yeah, I mean, 
would like we keep saying, this is a material thing. This is a physical thing. And this reminds us that, that our God lived in a physical body. Our God lived a physical life to show his great love for us. And ultimately, to bring it back to the theme of this podcast, to redeem us. And, and, and that redemption came through material. It came through material things. And right, I'm, I think there's been plenty of times in Christianity where we've tried to move past that and say, Jesus came in, did this like one time material thing so that we could become immaterial or something. I just don't think that's it. And I think the communion is such a good reminder of that. Again, Jesus did not come. It starts to get incoherent very quickly. Jesus came in a physical body to give us, you know, immaterial things. It's like, no, Jesus came, um, gave us material things to remember him by, to remember his material body, his material life and his very material love for us. Right. Jesus entering into human body in doing that, his body is the redemption of our own bodies. It's not the redemption of some spiritual part of us disconnected from our body. No, by assuming flesh, taking it on, he takes on ourselves. And, and through that, we can find redemption in our own bodies. Yeah. And, and another way we can look at this, why bread and wine? Why why these, I think especially in the ancient world, these, these sources of sustenance, So we can remember that Jesus nourishes us. Jesus' body, Jesus is the bread of life. Yes, in this um, immaterial sense, but also in a material way. I think we should see every material thing we have is coming from God. This is part of the way we understand creation, that when we eat, when we eat bread, when we drink wine, when, when we eat whatever food we do, we're reminded that Jesus provides for us. It is Jesus who sustains us um, because Jesus um, created us and created our world. Another reason why I think Jesus wanted to be remembered by bread and wine is that it's something that is common to all of us, that we all need to eat and drink. We're all invited to receive Christ's body and blood. And in sharing that body and blood and sharing the bread and the wine, I think God is trying to say that we are all equal in God's eyes. Society's arbitrary hierarchies are broken down at Christ's table. In that time, it was between Jews and Gentiles, the rich and the poor. And I think that we can apply this to the matters we talk about in our podcast, that in receiving communion, Christ shows that he has the same love for small bodies and big bodies, for ones deemed beautiful by society and ones deemed not. In Christ's eyes, all are equal, all are loved, and all are worthy. I really do think this is one of the most beautiful images um, that Christianity has to offer us. Is, is, is go to your, Next time your church serves communion, hopefully every Sunday, um, <laughs> take a look at who's receiving. And, and Megan, like you're saying, big bodies, small bodies, old bodies, young bodies, bodies with disabilities, bodies without disabilities, whatever, all of these bodies coming forward, all of them receiving the exact same thing. All of them receiving sustenance from God. God not, um, you know, choosing to to give life and sustenance to some and not others. No, we don't see that at all. We see whoever you are, you are equal at the table as a creature and a beloved creature and a creature over whom the words are spoken. You are very good. I delight in you. Last but not least, I think that in receiving communion, there's this deep intimacy. When we eat something, we take it in, we consume it, it becomes part of us. And so by Christ assigning bread and wine to be symbols of his own life, I think he's trying to say that when we receive those things, when we when we take 
the bread and the wine, we receive Christ's own life. His life becomes ours. And so we have to ask the question, how do we bring this beyond the table? What does it mean to receive Christ's life as our own? How do we walk away from that from that table? Hopefully often a physical table for you, and if not, even perhaps metaphorical. Um, how do we receive these ways of Jesus as our own? I think there's a couple things that come to mind for me. Let's so, get practical, y'all. Yeah, it's been a very theoretical episode. But I think the first is just giving thanks for the gifts of food or the gifts of our own bodies. One thing that always blows my mind is in that in that those verses I just read where Jesus is telling the disciples to remember him through disciples through not the disciples, through (laughs) bread and through wine, before giving those things to them, he gives thanks for the bread and gives thanks for the wine. And that just blows my mind because those things were supposed to represent his life. And this is happening right before he gives up. He gives up his body on the cross. Yet Jesus can have gratitude even then. And I think what that's pointing us to is that when we receive food, We should receive it as this good gift from God because it is. Right. And I think this is something we, some of us do robotically or maybe have done since we were growing up. And that's not a bad thing as far as, you know, saying a quick uh, prayer before we eat, a quick prayer of Thanksgiving. And I'm not trying to discourage that. Um, But I would challenge you to lean into that a little more, to think about what it means to, um, that the food you eat came from a world that God created. Um, and, and to really lean into the gratitude that we can and should have, um, that our creator has provided the good gift of food for us. I think another thing it means to receive Christ's life is to embrace our bodies and the bodies of others. Um, like we talked about in this episode, to see all bodies as good. I find when I am noticing different flaws in myself that don't, Ways that maybe I don't fit into society's beauty standard and I start longing for those things that would make me more beautiful in the eyes of the world. I try to challenge myself by remembering that I am already more than enough in God's eyes, that I don't need those things in the same way Christ didn't need those things. And yet his, he is beauty as we've been saying. Yeah. And I think another way we can take this is, is just being intentional about the meals we eat with others. That Jesus is someone who who ate with others so much, like we said earlier. And I'm not trying to make this push of, you know, you can never eat alone. I'm not trying to say that at all. I feel like I end up eating alone all the time. But it is being mindful um, of the gift it is to gather around a table um, with other people, um, with the sorts of people even that Jesus would eat with, which which are maybe not always the people um, in the most mainstream positions in society. And to see that as an opportunity to participate in the life that Jesus lived. Yeah, and... Lastly, I think one other way we can live into Christ's life and receive his life as our own is to assume Christ's position of of giving ourselves unto others. And obviously that can mean so many different things and I'm sure will mean different things for each one of you. But I think just one practical way in regards to food and and body image stuff is to just be an encouraging voice out there. I think So often, as we've talked about in other episodes, the ways we speak about food and our bodies can be so destructive and can cause shame for others and in comparison and envy. 
what if instead we were voices of encouragement when people start to critique their bodies to say, no, you're fine. You are more than enough. Um, or when people start to feel shame about what they've eat, eaten and lament all the things they ate that day saying, it's okay, be at peace. Right. That is so the message that Jesus speaks over us. We, we have this God who could have chosen to be in whatever body he, he wanted to, to be in a, a body that, you know, Greco-Roman Jewish society would have said, yes, that's the ideal body. And Jesus said, no, Jesus took a body that society didn't, didn't deem valuable. Again, Megan, like you said earlier, to show that these standards aren't real. These standards aren't true. These standards do not come from God. And we can be not only voices who, um, are encouraging that sort of message, but, but folks who are encouraged by that very God, that same God who, um, who rejected society standards can help us do the same and empower us to walk in greater freedom and joy. And, and that's what all this is about. Yeah. I always want to recognize here that we know the message we're saying is, can be hard to hear. I just remember how hard it was for me to finally let go of the pursuit of thinness to finally want to trust what God spoke over me. And it was such a scary thing. So what I want to leave you today is I hope you guys remember that as you pursue living into God's vision, as you pursue receiving your body and food as a gift, know that Christ is with you and in you in all those things. And that Christ, his voice is a voice worth trusting. One of the things that helps me most believe that I can believe Jesus, that I can believe that his ways are what's for my flourishing and what's for the flourishing of the world is that Jesus could have had it all. He could have had beauty and fame and control and power, all these things that we crave. And yet he gave it up for us. He chose death that we might have life in him. This is a God worth trusting, a God who loves us, and a, a God who will be there with us and equip us with the strength to pursue his way of life.